0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: The first reading comes, as said, from the book of Habakkuk, which can be found on page 940 in the Pew Bible. Habakkuk chapter 1, we're starting at verse 1. the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a lord to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, he catches them in his net, he gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to his complaint? Let me go on to a reading in the in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter fourteen, starting at verse thirty-two, and this can be found on page one thousand and twenty-one in the Church Bible. Mark chapter fourteen, verse thirty-two. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will
0: Well, good evening. Great to uh, see you and have you with us this evening. Um, Do turn back to Habakkuk chapter 1. I'll give you a minute to find it. It's deceptively tricky. I'm convinced that it moves, but at the moment it's on page 940, if that'll help you find it. It's the one after Nahum, but then if you knew that, you didn't need help finding it. And um, I'm going to pray for us that as we look at it together, uh, that the Lord would help us. So let's pray, shall we? Our Father God, we thank you for the richness of your word to us, the Bible. Thank you that it speaks to every experience and every corner of our lives. And we pray this evening as we come to this chapter from the Old Testament, that you would please, in your kindness, help me to explain it faithfully and clearly and help us all to see more of you and learn more of what it means to trust you and to pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Lord God, why, why, why do you tolerate evil and injustice? Lord, why are you allowing this situation? It feels like my world is falling apart. Why, Lord? Father, why won't you answer my prayers? Don't you care about what's happening? Why? The problem of evil in the world is one that every believer in Jesus Christ will come face to face with at some point. Uh, Some people might think about it in a sort of abstract intellectual way from the kind of the philosopher's armchair, if you like. How can there be a good God and, and evil in the world? But But more significantly, and I would guess more often, the problem of evil is one that we find ourselves asking about, not from the armchair, but from the hospital bedside, the graveside, or curled up in a ball on the kitchen floor with tears streaming down our faces. The question of evil in the world, that question why might be an armchair question for some, but for many it's the question from the sufferer's wheelchair and not the armchair. And this book of the Bible we're looking at for the next three Sundays, the book of Habakkuk, is a book all about this problem. Uh, specifically not about um, natural evil natural disasters and that sort of thing not so much about sickness and pain in that sense but a, a book all about the problem of moral evil in the world how can there be a good god and yet people do the things that they do that we read about on the news every day And um, four times in this first chapter of Habakkuk, the the prophet asks God, why? Verse 3, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? And again in verse 13, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? It's an unusual book, the book of Habakkuk, because it's an Old Testament um, uh, prophecy but the prophet Habakkuk doesn't actually have any prophecies for the people. What the book records is a conversation between the prophet and his God, where the prophet asks questions and the Lord answers them. And then finally in chapter three, there's a song of praise to the Lord as Habakkuk moves from asking why to worship, from why to worship. But this evening, as we begin in Habakkuk 1, the, the big question is simply the question of the heart, the question of the sufferer's wheelchair, the question, why, Lord? Why? And as we listen in to the prophet Habakkuk asking his questions and the answers that God gives him over the next three weeks, the book of Habakkuk will teach us how to struggle well with this issue, and will help us to know our God better. But I need to warn you as we begin this evening that Habakkuk chapter one that was read for us doesn't contain God's um, last word on the issue. There's more, and you'll have to come back next week for Habakkuk two to fully understand the truth that moved Habakkuk from asking why to a place of worship. And yet as we listen into chapter one, there is much for us here to help us know God better, and to struggle with this issue. Uh, The the passage is divided up into um, a complaint from Habakkuk, his first question, um, in verses 2 to 4. The Lord gives a first answer in 5 to 11. And then there's a second complaint in verses 12 to the end of the passage. And if it helps you to follow where we're going, there's, um, there's a handout in your bundle which follows that structure. So if that, if that helps you, then you might want to have that in front of you. We're going to follow it through and then conclude with three lessons for us from this conversation with the Lord. But let's dive in, shall we? And the first thing we see, or hear rather, is Habakkuk's first complaint And the question he asks is essentially, Lord, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something about evil in the world? Have a look at verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice, and why do you tolerate wrong? Uh, The prophet Habakkuk whose book we're reading, probably grew up during a time of real spiritual revival in the people of God under a king called Josiah. Josiah, in the history of uh, of God's people, is one of the few examples of a really good king, and he'd led the people back to God and back to God's word, the Bible, but he died age 30. And so by the time Habakkuk is an adult, Josiah's son, a king called Jehoiakim, was on the throne. And Jehoiakim, we're told, was a corrupt king. The prophet Jeremiah uh, tells us that he loved wealth and building his own palaces and his own reputation more than anything else and would get it whatever it cost the people. And um, so as an adult, Habakkuk looks at the society around him And he sees violence and injustice. He sees wrongdoing and pain. Judah, where he lived, has become a place where justice is something to be bought and sold. Fear is something to be lived with. And God, well, God is someone to be ignored. Verse 4, therefore the law, God's law, is paralyzed and justice never prevails. You see, he says it's like God's word has no impact on the people in front of me. And they're characterized by violence and injustice. And you see, the problem that Habakkuk wrestles with in chapter 1 is not just the existence of evil, but the problem of seemingly unanswered prayer. Verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? You see, of course, um, evil is a problem for the, um, the atheist in the world. And the difficult thing for an atheist is to, um, is to explain why evil really matters. Because, you know, if we all came about by chance, you know, we just evolved randomly by accident, then the challenge for the, the, the atheist person is to explain why um, bad things happening aren't just another accident. Because everything's random anyway for them. The strong get stronger and the weak get squashed. But actually, the problem comes home with far more force to the Christian believer. It runs much deeper because, well, two things that the Bible reveals very clearly that we have a God who answers prayers and a God who saves. And yet, Habakkuk says, You don't. You're not. You're not listening. You do not save. And you see, for the Christian believer, we have the challenge that we know that God is good, but there's a gap between what I know and what I see in the world with my eyes. And it's a gap that believers feel on our knees as we pray to the Lord. And we say, Lord, why don't you do something? about the world that I live in. And I take it you don't need to have been a Christian for actually for that long to have echoed something of Habakkuk's prayer. As you open up the news app on your phone and we see violence in our society. 1.5 million violent crimes were prosecuted last year. That's just the ones that were prosecuted. You read of violence on the streets, domestic violence in our homes violence against the most vulnerable in our society, the unborn in the womb. I know it's a sensitive topic, but there were 200,000 abortions last year in the UK. We read about violence and we cry out, Lord, how long? Why? But most striking of all, um, Habakkuk As he prays this prayer, he's looking not at the people out there in the wider world. His eyes are focused on the people of God, the people of Judah. The New Testament equivalent would be the church. Habakkuk's eyes are looking at the people of God, the church. And what he sees is violence and injustice. I don't know about you, every time I read about a church leader who's abused their power in some way, it's like my heart sinks. But let me tell you, the first time I read about someone who I had met and respected, exposed for abusing their power and uh, and bullying people in their church, it was like being punched in the stomach. And we cry, how long, Lord? Habakkuk says it's like the law is paralyzed. And don't we see churches up and down the country denying God's words? Church committees with the audacity to vote against the things that God says. And scholars who doubt and deny the Bible. And we cry, how long, Lord? How long will you tolerate this? Listen, maybe you've been praying personally you've been praying for a family member to be converted for many years maybe you've been praying for some issue uh, maybe your marriage or something and you've been praying that things would just get a bit easier and you're praying how long lord before you hear my prayer and here is the problem and notice that habakkuk is very bold in bringing it to god god why don't you do something And the Lord replies, and it's a very surprising answer. Uh, verse 5 Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Here is God's surprising reply. See, I don't know about you. When I, when I pray, I often already have an idea in my head about how I think God ought to answer the thing, that I, you know, the thing I'm praying for. And um, you can imagine, for the prophet Habakkuk, as he looks at the people of God and is praying for God to do something, you can think he's, he's probably imagining maybe a, a new king, like Josiah for the people to come back to God's word for the situation to get a bit better among God's people but the Lord says verse 5 not look to the people but look to the nations and I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe it if you were told he's raising up the Babylonians to judge his people See, when Habakkuk is writing, um, uh, in the sort of roughly the late 7th century, the, the Babylonians were the new superpower in the world. They were an aggressive and expansionist nation. Uh, in the last few years, they'd, they'd smashed uh, Nineveh, which was the old superpower on the scene. And just recently, in, uh, in a place called Carchemish, they'd thrashed the Egyptians to demonstrate they really were the most powerful nation on the scene. And, um, and you can see that, because look how the Lord describes them. Verse 7, they're a feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Uh, God says in verse 8 that they're worse than the fiercest predators, you know, leopards and wolves and vultures and things like that. Uh, just, about, um, just about a year ago, um, we took our boys to the Yorkshire Wildlife Park, and it was just about feeding time. I don't know if you've ever been there just about feeding time. Um, we, were, um, we were there by the tiger enclosure... And, um, and pacing by the fence, about six feet from where we were standing, was um, this enormous hungry tiger. And it's that point when you sort of, you're sort of looking up to just check how tall the fence actually is. And, um, and I have to say, even though I could see all the barriers between me and the tiger, you have that sort of sense of kind of tensing up inside because they're really scary. They're big and they're powerful. And the Lord says, look, the Babylonians, they're like that. They're big and bad and scary. They blow through the nations like a hurricane. And God says, I'm going to do something you wouldn't believe in answer to your prayer. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to hold my people to account. There will be justice. I will do something about evil. I'll send Babylon. And listen, it's one of the big truths of the Bible, that, um, uh, that God is always good and always loving, always, but that God is so in control of his world, so sovereign over his creation, that he can even use human evil to bring about his good purposes. That's what we see here in Habakkuk 1, isn't it? The God who's always good and always loving says, I will take this big, bad, scary, evil nation and use them to achieve my good purposes. Of course, it doesn't mean that we're any less responsible for the things we do, and yet God is able to use human injustice to bring about his good plan. And listen, there's, there's great mystery here. I won't stand here and claim that I can explain in detail how God can be always good and never the author of human evil and yet permit it to happen and even fold it into his plans. Uh, The author, Oz Guinness, wrote this. I don't know why bad things happen, but I know the God who knows the reason why. And as Christians... For all the the mystery here, for all that we have fixed points, God is loving, God God is good, God is in control, and yet there's mystery between those those fixed points. Um, We know that this is true because we've seen the supreme example of it. See, when God came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, people perpetrated the worst evil imaginable we crucified God in the person of his son, Jesus. It was a heinous act of moral evil. And yet, and yet the Bible tells us it was God's plan to use that wicked act to save people, that it happened according to God's purpose, his plan and foreknowledge. On the cross, we see that the good God is able to use great evil to bring about his good purposes. His Habakkuk 1 shows us that we mustn't have a small view of God, you know, a thin view of the Christian life as if God only worked through happy times and holy people. We mustn't have that view of God. God is not a God who only works through good experiences. Our God reigns. And to our amazement, even in the hard times and the horrible experiences, the Lord is able to be at work. And look, it's hard to get your head around, but there is great comfort in this truth. See, I don't know about you, but my experience as I look back over my Christian life is that it's often been during the absolute worst times of life, as they felt at the time, when God has grown me most in my relationship with him. It's when I was absolutely in the pit that God has held me closest. And listen, if, um, uh, if someone had sort of given me that as advice at the time, oh, don't worry, God's at work, I doubt it would have helped that much. But I was really glad that someone had given me that advice before I faced suffering, so that I could hold it in my head and believe it, even when I didn't feel it in my heart. And we might wait, we might wait years to see how God was at work in some situation. We, we may never see, we may have to wait until we're in heaven with the Lord before we see how he was at work. But we see in God's surprising reply that God is at work even in hard times and in the most unexpected ways imaginable. You know, when I first became a Christian, um, one of the things I was taught about prayer is that God is a loving Father, and so he always answers our prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. Now, I've found that incredibly helpful over the years, but I think we get a fourth category here in Habakkuk 1, because in Habakkuk 1, we see the Lord say yes, But in a way you never would have imagined and probably wouldn't have asked for yourself. The Lord's surprising reply to Habakkuk. And then, thirdly, we see Habakkuk's second complaint. Uh, If his first complaint was, God, why don't you do something? His second complaint is, God, why are you doing that? If his first complaint was about what God isn't doing in the world, his second complaint is about what God is doing. If first time around he says, Lord, why won't you answer my prayer? Second time around he says, Lord, don't answer it like that. Why would you answer it in that way? You see, it seems that by verses um, 12 to um, 2 verse 1, some time has passed, the Babylonians have come, and Habakkuk is just saying, I can't understand it. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Lord, it seems like the treatment is worse than the disease here. Uh, The people of Judah were bad, but the Babylonians are worse. How can you justly send unjust people like this in judgment on your people? And um, Habakkuk himself paints us a vivid image of Babylon in verses 14 to 17, being like, um, like a fisherman in a trawler collecting up fish in his net. Now, a few years ago, I saw, um, I saw a picture online of a, a fisherman somewhere in the Mediterranean coming in in his, uh, in his boat, and there were about 50 cats just waiting on the shore side, just waiting for this guy to show up. And I was trying to find it. I couldn't find it for you this evening. But, um, but Babylon is like that, just trawling up all the fish, and then he can do what he likes with them. Eat one lovely, throw one to the cats, no problem. And you see, it's a violent picture, and it's an indiscriminate one. All manner of people just caught up in their net. It may be that Habakkuk is alluding in verse 17, to a brutal practice in Babylon of putting hooks through the jaws of their captives. And do you see what Habakkuk is saying? The Babylonians, they're big and they're bad. They worship their own strength. And he's saying, I don't get it. How can this be right? Do you see that Christian faith does not mean understanding everything that God is doing in the world. Sometimes we look at circumstances and we can't understand how God is at work in them. We can't see the justice. And mature faith is not thinking that we've got all of the answers. Mature faith is trusting God's promises even when we don't have the answers. We see that here in in Habakkuk because you see in the middle of that that vivid description of the Babylonians, uh, if that's in the middle, on either side, Habakkuk begins by reminding himself of God's promises and ends by saying that he will wait to see the Lord keep them. Do you see if in the middle he complains to the Lord, on either side we see his trust in God on show. Have a look at verse 12 with me for a moment. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? You see, Habakkuk remembers that God is eternal, enthroned above the ebb and flow of history, the rock, the one stable point in a changing world, that God is personal. Verse 12, my God, my holy one. Isn't that one of the key things? When you become a Christian, you realize that God is not a sort of vague idea out there to discuss, but you realize that God is a person, and that you can know him personally. Let me say, if you're here this evening, and, uh, and you wouldn't say that you know God personally, why not chat to someone sat around you and ask them what that means for them? Come and talk to me. Keep coming along, because Habakkuk knows that God is personal and holy Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Do you see, Habakkuk reminds himself of what he already knows about God, what God has revealed about himself, and then cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, there's this gap between what I know and what I see. But the prayer ends in chapter two, verse one, with Habakkuk again expressing his faith and saying, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me. See, here is here is trust in God. Here's mature faith, not having all the answers, and not being able to see how God is at work in every circumstance of life, but remembering what he already knows about God, what God has revealed in the Bible what he knows about God's character and promises, and then saying, listen, Lord, I don't get it, but I'm going to stand and watch and wait for you to keep your promises. I'm going to wait to see that you're just and holy and loving and good, even as I wait in this um, awful situation. And again, as Christians, don't we have far greater reason to trust and to wait than Habakkuk did because, as I said already, at the cross, we have seen that God can use the most awful circumstances, the most terrible injustice to bring about his justice and his rescue. We know we can do it. He can do it because we've seen him do it at the cross. And so Habakkuk says, I'll trust and I'll wait even as I don't know. Well, as I close, three lessons for us this evening from Habakkuk chapter one. Uh, The first one is this. Express your feelings to God. Express your feelings to God. Um, In this chapter, you can't miss the fact that Habakkuk is very frank with God, isn't he? He's almost rude. You know, how long? Why? These are pretty forward things to say to the all-powerful creator God. Uh, Don't we often bottle up the way that we feel or or squash it down? We think that mature faith means putting on a a, a stick-on grin and bottling up how we feel. Or um, uh, normally we complain to others about God and about our circumstances. Uh, Someone pointed out to me this week That in the Bible it's almost always wrong to grumble to others about God, to complain about God to others. It's okay to ask questions, it's okay to ask for help, but it's almost always wrong to complain about God to others. But here's the thing, in the Bible, to complain to God about God is almost always right. And Habakkuk models that for us, on his knees, crying out to God, Why? How long? Express your feelings to God. Secondly, hold on to what you know. This is what Habakkuk does as he prays, as he reminds himself of the truth of God's character and his promises, that God's eternal and holy and personal and, and good. He turns what he knows about God into prayer back to God. And sometimes that's exactly what I need as I look on circumstances in the world that I can't understand and I see evil and I have to remind myself what is true about God. um, Some of you, um, lots of you will be old enough to remember 9-11, that... um, that terrible day when the, um, the, the planes flew into the Twin Towers in New York. And, um, and some of you are lucky enough to be too young uh, still to remember that. Um, but I, I remember that um, particularly vividly from a Christian point of view, because I'd been a Christian for about a year, and I was with a group of non-Christian friends watching the TV screen and just thinking to myself, I just don't, I don't have an answer for, for this. How, how can this sort of thing happen in a world with a good God? And I had to go back to what I knew about God. I just take my Bible and, and, and in prayer and think to myself, well, do you, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, I do. do. Do you believe that he's good? Yes, I do. I believe that that's true. Well, well, I can hold on to that, knowing that that is true, even as I can't explain the things I see with my eyes. So hold on to what you know in your doubt and in your hurt. And then finally, be prepared to wait. Because, of course, this is exactly what Habakkuk does. At the end of the passage, he says, I'll be there on the walls. I'll be actively looking for you to keep your promises, Lord. And yet the thing I find is that often I just give up. Too often I don't pray, verse 2, how long, O Lord, because I've already given up praying for things. And here in Habakkuk 1, we see that believers need to be prepared to wait for God to answer. Sadly, sometimes people walk away from the church and from Christian faith because they want the answers now, and they can't wait. We're to be those who pray, your kingdom come, as we did this evening, and who persevere in doing that, waiting for the Lord to answer. And listen, as I close, we'll see the big answer that God gives next week in Habakkuk 2. You'll have to come back for that. But I'm going to close by, by praying some of the words of Habakkuk and praying them in for us. So let's, um, let's, let's allow Habakkuk to teach us to pray together. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help but you do not listen, or cry to you violence, but you do not save. Lord God, as we look upon things in the world that that horrify us and ways in which we can't see you at work in our situation, in those moments where it feels like the, the world is falling apart, We want to address you with those things and tell you of our pain and our distress and our doubts and our uncertainties. But we ask you to help us to go back to your word and to find in it the solid foundations, the things that we do know about you, that we might hold on, trusting you, trusting your promises as we long for that day when you will be shown to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.